0: Well, hey, how are you guys doing this morning? Good. All right, good. That's way better than first service. First service was like, ah, you know, it's like a little whimper. All right, um, hey, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. All right, couldn't uh, do it, couldn't do life without you. All right, um, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's a good day. It's warm out. To, it's a little warm out today, but it's sunny. It's not raining or anything. So good Father's Day. Uh, hey. Uh, This morning we're going to be continuing on in our series called Enough of the Bad News. And I feel like probably every single one of us in here, we could all agree, maybe not to the same extent, but we could all agree to a certain extent that it's like the world that we live in, it just, it's all about the bad news, right? Everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, it's just bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. It's all over the place and we can't necessarily really get away from it um, in our culture and in our society. Uh, But we as Christians... The bad news is never supposed to be our focus. Right? It's not. Uh, God has given us so much. He has given us so much good news that far outweighs the bad news, and uh, so that's why we've been going through the series. We've been talking about some of the some of the good news that God has given us. The first week we looked at uh, John three sixteen, the most quoted, most well known verse in the entire Bible, where uh, Jesus is talking to a religious man, telling him that hey, God has come all right, into the world to, to save us, all right, that Jesus, he, you know, God loves us so much that he came down, uh, he died on the cross for us, he saved us, and in that act, he paid for everything that we've ever done wrong, and his justice was satisfied, his righteous, perfect justice was satisfied for everything that we've done wrong, which if we were honest with ourselves, it's like millions and millions and millions of things, like more than we could ever count. God took care of it. It's great, great news. It's the ultimate good news. And then a couple, or last week we talked about three promises that God gives us, um, and that is our bad things turn out for good, our good things can never be lost, and our best is yet to come. Also, really great news. And so today, um, we're going to look at another type of of good news, I guess, or another principle that we see throughout uh, the the Bible, and it's this, right? We have the privilege... To view God as a father. You ever think about that? We have the privilege to view God as a father. And, and some of you guys are like, here we go, cheesy Father's Day message right here. Of course, he's talking about this. And actually, I was shying away because I hate that. You know, I hate that I'm like, every pastor is talking about this today because it's Father's Day. I actually hate that. So I was really trying to do something else, but this is just what, what worked out, I guess. Um, but, uh, but we have the privilege to view God. As our Father, we see this throughout the entire Bible. We see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. Last few weeks, we've mentioned how uh, if we, when we surrender our lives over to Jesus, that God actually adopts us. He promises to adopt us into His family, like we literally become sons and daughters of God. Actually, it's more than that. Remember last week we said uh, that God promises that we will become heirs. Okay, co heirs with Jesus. I mean, he wants us in our family. Have you thought, thought about that for a while? Like, some of us, we've been Christians for decades, and it's like, you know, some of this we just don't think about. Some of us, this is like the first time we're hearing this, and so yeah, we're, we're thinking about it. But do you ever think about that? That God wants you in his family. Like, God wants to be your father, God of the universe. Who created the universe using words? It wasn't like he was like, "Oh, um, here's the matter. All right, let's. Uh, I'm gonna create this Earth thing. This might take me a couple weeks, but it's gonna be sweet when I'm done." It's not how it was. He was just like, "Earth, bam, Earth's there." Okay, that's how it worked. That's what that's what the Bible tells us. He just spoke things into existence, and they were that God, who's all powerful, who. You know, made millions and millions and trillions of, of stars and galaxies and, and all this stuff. That God wants to be your father. Isn't that weird to think about? He wants to be your He wants to be your father. There's actually a great example that Jesus gives us. Remember in the garden in the night before Jesus is arrested? He's he's praying with some of his disciples. He's in the garden um, before he gets arrested. And remember what he what he's praying? He's crying out to God the Father, and he's crying out, out, Abba, Father. We don't really, you know, we kind of glance over that, and, you know, it doesn't really mean much to us. But Abba, basically, in the original language, Abba means, it's it's like an endearing term that a child would use to address their dad. Basically, that's what it means, it's dad. Or even more than that, it's actually kind of like daddy. We see in Galatians, Paul, he mentions this too. He's like, hey, yeah, somewhere deep down inside, like our, our soul or our spirit is like crying out to God saying, Abba, Father. All right? God wants to be your, God wants to be your dad. Like He cares about you. He loves you like a true dad. He is the perfect dad. Now, for some of us, God as dad is a difficult concept for us, to, for us to grasp because, you know, the honest truth is, for some of us, our idea of dad is skewed because we didn't have a very good dad, All right? We never had a real relationship with our dad. Some of us we just had a bad, bad dad. All right. Others of us, maybe we had a really great relationship with, with our dad, and for us, we can't even compare God as dad with our dad, because for us, it's like, it's like well, God can't be as good as my dad. Like, I had the best dad. Like, my dad, you know, growing up, my dad was, was awesome, and, and, you know, he, he, he was such a, great, such a great father to me. All right. But God is saying, and what we're going to learn today, is that God is the perfect dad, something none of us in this room have ever experienced and Jesus actually gives us a glimpse of what God as our dad looks like. And it's a famous story. A lot of you guys, we've, you know, we've heard this um, a lot before, but uh, it's actually he, he tells us in a parable. A parable was a story that Jesus used. Uh, he actually used parables a lot, but parables were stories that Jesus used to teach a point or to teach, um, to teach people kind of what he was talking about. A lot of times he used stories. And he used them a lot. And uh, we see this in Luke chapter 15. We'll start in verse 1. This is what he says. He's trying to, he's setting up the context. Luke, who's writing this, is setting up the context for us. And he says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. So wherever Jesus was, right, just remember this as you're reading through the Gospels and stuff. Wherever Jesus went, like crowds gathered. Okay, everybody wanted to see who this Jesus guy was. I mean, the word had spread throughout the whole region and throughout the whole country in a sense of, of Israel that uh, there's this guy out there and he's healing people and, and he's teaching stuff that no one has ever heard before and he's telling everybody how to, how to grow in their relationship with God and get closer with God and just all this stuff and crowds would come around because everybody wanted to see what he was going to do next and wanted to hear what he was going to say next. In fact, if you'd like to, you know, do in a sense kind of like a study on it, but go to the book of Mark. Mark, you know, Matthew, Mark, second book in the New Testament. Go to the book of Mark and just go through and circle all the times that the crowd is mentioned. All right? Circle all the words crowd in the book. I mean, it's almost every chapter. It's all over the place. So crowds would gather around Jesus all the time. And here in this specific crowd, um, Luke is setting it up for us. He's saying here in this specific crowd, there were sinners and there were tax collectors. Not great people. It's interesting that Jesus came as religious leader, but have you noticed he doesn't gravitate towards religious people? Have you noticed that? Like as you're reading through New Testament or whatever, right? Jesus, he came as the ultimate religious leader. Like this is God in man in the form of a man. Like, like nuts, all right? He came as the ultimate religious leader, but he did not gravitate towards religious people. Uh, another way to look at it is, is people who were nothing like Jesus— actually liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back. And so that's the situation that's happening. Now, verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, saying, This man, he welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. All right, the Pharisees and scribes, I feel like we've talked about a lot recently. Um, They always pop up. They're popping up, you know, they pop up all throughout the New Testament. And uh, Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes, they didn't, uh, they bought heads a lot, okay? Pharisees and scribes, they were, they were like ultimate religious. Religious people, like they were, you know, ultra-religious people. They, they, uh, they memorized books of the Bible. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They were experts in, re- in inventing little rituals and little ceremonies to kind of puff them up, help them feel good. They were self-righteous people like, hey, look at me. Look how religious I am. Check me out. You know, look how close I am to God. You know, they're, all, they're that type of person. In fact, um, one rule that they would make is uh, they would make up all these little rules. They're, they're rule followers they would make rules to make sure they didn't break their rules, okay? Like crazy people, all right? Some of you know people like that, are just like, got to go by the rules, all right? Um, that's what these people were. So one thing that they did is they, they, they made this rule, like, hey, we have to say a blessing every time before we eat a meal, okay? Not a bad thing. Like, we should all probably once in a while, you know, or we should probably more uh, be thanking God for stuff, especially before, you know, before a meal and, and stuff like that. Like, it's not a bad thing, but what they would do is they would say, no, 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 you have to do it. And if for some reason you forget to say your blessing before your meal, then, and you remember like a couple hours later, you're still, you can still be okay. Okay. Alright? You just have to go back to that spot that you ate at and you gotta say your blessing, but you have to do it before your food completely digests. Okay? So we're kinda crazy about that. Make all these little stipulations. Like can you imagine that if we went by their rules today? One you know, a lot of times I, I've met with a lot of you guys. My go-to meeting spot here in Tiffin now, Madison Street, all right big fan. I didn't know it existed until like a year ago. Um, but uh, but yeah, Tiffin has some good things to offer. All right. I'll, I'll admit it. I, I recognize that. And Madison Street's one of them. And so what I'll do is I will have, I'll have a meeting with, with people. I'll meet with them at Madison Street. And let's say I forgot to thank God for my food before I ate it. Pharisees would be like, oh, you can't do that. All right. Let's say I forgot. And then I left and I come back here and I'm working in the office and then like three o'clock hits and I'm like, oh, I forgot to say my blessing. According to the Pharisees' rules, I would have to get back in my car. I'd have to drive all the way back to Madison Street. The people who are sitting in the booth now that I was sitting in earlier, I'd have to say, hey, you guys need to leave because I got to stay here and I got to pray and thank God for my food. They'd have to leave, get up, and then I have to sit down in the same spot I was sitting and then I have to thank God for my food. All right, crazy, right? That was, their, that was their rule, right? They did make it possible for, they did say, well, we will let up on children. They don't have to do this. Unless they can eat something the size of an olive, then it's game on for the rest of their life. All right? Just crazy. These were the people that uh, they made, you know, God says, hey, you know, he told the Israelite people, I don't want you working on the Sabbath. Like, you need to take a day off. We see that in the seven days of creation. Even God took, took a day off. God rested so he's like, you need to rest on the Sabbath. Consider it holy. And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they came along. They're like, okay, well, let's think through every possible scenario. And if, what, what happens if we walk too long? All right, if we walk too many steps on the Sabbath, maybe God would consider that work, and then we would be in violation of disobeying God. And so they made a rule. They came up, I don't even know the number, but they came up with a set number of steps that they were allowed to take on the Sabbath day. And so they would walk around all day of the Sabbath day and count their steps, so they made sure that they didn't even come close to breaking God's rule. That may not, you know, it's just, just crazy. I don't know what would happen if you're like walking somewhere and didn't make it within the amount of steps you needed to take. I guess you just stand there until midnight, until you can start walking again. But uh, these guys were nuts. These guys were like the ultimate rule followers. They were all about doing the right thing. They were all about being clean in people's eyes. They were super self-righteous. Now, I think for a lot of us as Christians, we hear about the Pharisees a lot, and you know what we do? Automatically, we distance ourselves from them. We're like, well, that's not me. I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I'm not a rule follower. I break rules all the time. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. But let me just say this. If you are comparing yourself, and a lot of people do this. If you are comparing yourself by finding someone else who isn't as good as you, and you're measuring how well you're doing goodness or how many good things you're doing based on um, how well they're doing, let me just say, you're already in a scary situation. Rebellion against God. Because God's not holding you to your idiot friend's holiness. He's holding you to his holiness. And that's an issue for all of us. Because none of us even come close. So you got these guys. Can you picture the scene? Jesus out there. He's got this crowd around him. They're all tax collectors and, phar- or tax collectors and, and sinners. Then and you got the Pharisees. Maybe he's kind of standing in the back going like, I wonder what he's going to say wrong today. You know, because they don't really like Jesus. They don't. Uh, they don't like his uh, the things that he has to say, and so they're standing there, and uh, they don't understand the fact, or they don't they don't like the fact, or understand why Jesus would ever hang out with these types of people, these Pharise- or these the, <laughs> I'm saying it wrong, these uh, these tax collectors and these sinners, these worst the worst in society. I mean, these people they look at the Bible and they do the exact opposite. These people, in all honesty, they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want to do life God's way. They want to do life their own way. Tax collectors, for example. Right? We don't really understand this concept because we don't have those. Maybe Well, kind of like the IRS maybe, but worse than that is These people are traitors to God's people, Israel. Okay? That's, that's, that's what they are. They're traitors. They actually work for the enemy. This was a big, 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 big deal To all the people who are standing there back then, to the Jewish people. Because what was going on is you you had the Roman Empire, they owned like the world. Okay, basically, like most of the known world, like most people on the planet were in within the Roman Empire. They owned from, I don't know, Great Britain or England all the way down to India. They owned everybody, including Israel. And so what they would do, the Roman government would go in there, conquer a little country, and then they would impose high taxes onto that country. And so, you know, so they could get more money. All right, that's what they would do. And so what sometimes would happen, by the way, how many of you like paying taxes to your own country? Not me, okay? Um, I hate paying taxes. It's one of the worst things ever. But, uh, but yeah, so that's what was going on here. Right? These Jews were literally paying taxes to a corrupt, oppressive, foreign government that would come in and they would take anybody they wanted, they would kill anybody they wanted, and sometimes they would rape anybody they wanted. And they have to pay them taxes. Not fair. It's not right. But then some Jewish men, you know what they would do? Is they would buy their way into the Roman government as a tax collector. And what they would do is the Roman government would say, hey, we need this much money, this high amount of money from your people, you know, from, from your region in Israel. And so the tax collector would say, okay. And so he would go to all the people and say, hey, you owe me this much. But he would always make the amount higher because the Roman government would allow him to say whatever, you know, whatever he wants for taxes, and uh, he gets to keep the rest. Does that make sense? So the Roman government, they didn't care how much the tax collector actually collected. They just wanted what was theirs, he could collect a whole much, bunch more, and that, was, and that was cool with them. They did not care as long as they get what they wanted. And so that was the situation that was going on here. These people were sellouts to their country and to their people, and they sold them out for money. And these people were hated. People hated them. Then you got Sinners. We read that and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get sinners. We're all a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You know, we're all in that category. Uh, but th- th- this is like, you know, uh, this is a label that Luke's given them. These people are outcasts. Right? These people are, are people with terrible reputations. They're prostitutes. They're thieves. They're, they're lazy people, people who refuse to, to, to work or get jobs. And these people are traitors. And so you have both groups of people around Jesus as Jesus is talking. You got these sinners and tax collectors that are all listening to what Jesus has to say. And then you got these Pharisees and scribes kind of standing in the back. They're also listening to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus was so, so, so smart. Like he always knew what to say and and he always knew what to teach on. And so he begins to tell them a story. And it's one of those stories that end up getting Jesus killed. Like this was a big, big deal. It's the story of the prodigal son. Actually, it should be called the prodigal sons because there's two, two sons, but a lot of people leave the second son off, but we're not going to do that today. And what Jesus is going to say, or what Jesus is going to do to these people, what he's going to do, what he should be doing in our lives with this, what this story teaches us, is he's going to deconstruct the world as they knew it and as we know it, and he's going to reconstruct the world as he created it. And when that happens, people get uncomfortable People get defensive, people get offended, and people get upset. So you ready? Three, four, okay, all right, here we go. We'll just do it anyway for you four. Okay, here we go. This what he says. Jesus starts telling a story. He says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, he says, hey, father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son he gathered together all that he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. All right, so the younger son he goes to his dad and basically he says, "Hey, dad, when you die, man, I'm gonna get a boatload of money. But my problem is you just won't die. What's going on here?" And so he comes up with this plan. And he's like, hey, um, you know, this is an issue. You know, I want your stuff now. And he's like, let's just pretend like you're dead. Let's pretend like you're dead. And then I can get half of your money that you owe me as my, as my inheritance. Okay, so in this society, this is super offensive. I mean, it would be super offensive if we did this today, right? Like you don't go to your dad and say, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have half, half your estate, half your stuff? No, we don't do that. At least we shouldn't be doing that. If you've done that, then that's not good, and you're a terrible, terrible, terrible person. Okay? We don't do that. Back then, it was even worse because they had this thing, like, they had this, like, respect, honor kind of culture. And so this was, like, the worst thing you could do. Even the tax collectors and the sinners who are standing there listening to the first part of their story, even they're just like, whoa, this kid is bold. Like, I thought I was bad. This kid is messed up. Like, he's got a big, you know, he, he, this, this kid is terrible. And so everyone is waiting to hear the dad's response. Everybody's standing there. They're like, oh, we know how this story plays out. Like, the dad's, dad's going to disown him. He's going to kick him out of his house. He's going to kick him out of his family. All right. But the dad doesn't do that, right? Right, we know how the story goes. He divides his wealth, and he gives them what he asks for, um, which was crazy to them. And the crowd, as they're, as, he's, as they're listening to what Jesus has to say, I mean, they're just silent, I'm sure. Like, did you hear what the dead gave it to him? And they're all thinking, this dad just blew his reputation. Like this dad just blew his honor in front of, in front of everybody because it's going to spread in the whole town that he's living in. You know, Everybody's going to know about this. And they're all, I'm sure, thinking that this dad is a fool for doing what he did. Sure enough, the kid leaves. He wastes it all. Um, living the life that he wants to live. He lived ridiculously uh, for him. It was like, who cares about right or wrong, whatever feels good to him? Doesn't that sound kind of like our society? It's like, hey, you can't tell me what's right or wrong. You can't tell me what truth is. I got to decide that for myself. You know, what's true for you might not be true for me and, and vice versa. And, and you know, it's just, just do whatever makes you happy or do whatever makes you feel good. That's what this kid's doing. So he goes and he buys a condo, buys a sweet car. You know, he just, life is a party. Everything is sweet and, uh, and everything's good. But eventually the money runs out. He loses all of his friends. No one will help him. And he's all alone. He eventually, eventually gets a job feeding pigs. Now, feeding pigs in that society, pigs were like dirty, gross, you know, unclean animals. Like you wouldn't want to like mess with you know, or even be in the proximity of a, of a pig to, to these Jews in that culture. And so this was a big deal. This was like the worst, it's like the worst job you could possibly have. Like worst case scenario here. Get a job feeding pigs. And the kid is so hungry that he wishes he could eat the slop that the, that the pigs were eating. Ever have a terrible job? You know, where you're like, like, I don't know, back in high school or, or in college, where you're just like, yeah, I never, ever, ever want to do that again. Where you hate going into work, where you dread going into work, ever have that. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been doing it for 40 years. It's great. <laughs> all right, that's what this kid's experiencing. I mean, worst of the worst. And not only that, but he's not getting paid much, and he's starving, and he's hungry. He's starving to death. He has nobody. He's all alone. I mean, this kid, if anybody has hit rock bottom, is this kid. He is at rock bottom. Bottom. Now, what do you think the tax collectors <clears throat> and the sinners were thinking when, when Jesus was telling the story? You think they could relate at all? You think some of them are going, "It's kind of what happened to me." Maybe not that bad, but it's similar. You know, these are people who ran away from God, wanted to do life on their own, like a lot of us have experienced, like a lot of us have done. You think they could relate at all? By the way the whole point of this story that Jesus is telling is he's he's pointing out the similarities of this father as God is as God is our father and the sons are, are just two different ways which we're going to look at two different ways that we rebel against God. All right but God's the father here. You think they could relate? See a lot of us this is our story. For 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 some of us this might not be hey this was my story um you know a while ago before I came back to God or before I came to God and all that stuff. Some of you, you're in the story right now. Like, this is you. Man, your relationship with God is so terrible, right? Or, or non-existent for, for some people where it's just like, and in, in, in none of us, you know, none of us know it's only between you and God. And you know, you're like, I'm not there. I know my relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be. I know I've been running. I know I've been doing life the way that I want to do. I don't really care about the way God wants me to do life. I mean, this is, for some of us, this is our story right now. Look at the flip side. What do you think the Pharisees and the scribes were thinking? The religious people. I'd assume they're going, yeah, get him. This is what that kid deserves. After the way this kid treated his father is the way this kid treated his dad. Like this is what the kid gets. Like, like, you know, hopefully he'll, he'll learn a lesson from this. And, and, and so they're thinking that and, and the kid eventually he decides to go back home just to see if his father will hire him. Because the way he's reasoning it is he's like, you know what? I could be feeding pigs. I'm starving here. This isn't worth it. I could go back home. And I know that if I go back home, if, if I just become like the lowest servant in my father's house, I know I'll have a better life than this. That's what he's thinking. So he starts to walk. And on the way, he prepares this little pathetic speech. And then what happens next in the story? It blows the minds. A lot of us, we already know it. But what happens next to the people that are listening? It blows their minds. Because it's so countercultural. It's so completely opposite of what anybody would ever do within that culture that this dad does. And check this out. In verse 15, 15, chapter 15, verse 20, he says, so he got up, the kid, and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt something. All right, so the dad's sitting there. The way I picture it, the dad's like, you know, sitting up on his porch. He's drinking his Kool-Aid, lemonade, whatever, and he's got his feet propped up. And he's, look, he's waiting for his son to come home because he knows his son's not going to make it and he's gonna, you know, he knows he'll, he'll be back soon. And, and he sees, he's looking off in the distance at the road and he sees some figure coming. And then, he, then he, as he gets closer, he starts recognizing the walk, right? And then he recognizes his face and he starts to smile and he's been waiting for the son to come back. And what do you think he felt? I think a lot of us, would assume, and a lot of people, everybody there in that, in, the, in that crowd, they're like, well, yeah, he's gonna feel angry. And you saw him and he felt, he felt frustration. He felt sorrow. Ah, oh, that was my son. He's disappointed. That's not what happens. Jesus says he saw him and he felt compassion for him. You ever think about that? You ever think, like, when we're at our worst, like, we we're full out rebelling against God. We all, we all do this to a certain extent. You, like, we're full out, we're rebelling. We don't necessarily, we're not thinking about what God wants us to do. We want to do life our way. We want control of our lo- own life, and we're rebelling. Do you ever think that, do you ever realize that God looks down on us, and he doesn't, he's not all ticked off at us. He's not angry at us, um, but he feels compassion for us. You ever think about that? I mean, that's what's going on here. He feels compassion as a dad would. Next verse. He says, and then he ran. Everybody's standing there like, whoa, whoa. Jesus, you saying he ran? Jesus is like, yeah, he ran. Back in this society, no dignified man would ever run. Men just didn't do that. So if you're a runner, I'm sorry, but you'd have no honor 2,000 years ago. But uh, like guys, these guys just didn't do it. It wasn't considered a manly thing. Right? And so this guy, this dad, he, he pulls up his robe. Or Maybe it's because they're wearing robes and that would look weird. But he pulls up his robe and he starts, he starts running as fast as he can. So he ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son said to him, look, he's going into his little pathetic speech. He's like, Father, you know, oh, what was that again? I, I've sinned against heaven and, and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The dad, he's not, even, he's not even listening, right? He's just like ignoring everything he says. But the father, he told his servants, he says, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He says, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, how long did it take him to celebrate? He says, so they began. Immediately. It wasn't like, hey, you're back, awesome, okay, I'm really happy, but you know, our relationship, it's gonna take a couple weeks to get this thing back going, you know, to get us back to where we should be or or where it's acceptable. It wasn't like that. It was immediate. Like it just it just happened. It, it, they started right then. Everybody who's listening to Jesus, they just can't believe this. This is completely opposite of what that culture is saying, the father, he starts barking out, he's not listening to to the pathetic speech. He's like, you know, you know, robe, ring, shoes, steak, it's going to be great. Let's start the party. And they immediately begin. And for, for us, it's hard for us to wrap our brain around this because this is so illogical. It's even more illogical for the people who are standing there. It's just a ridiculous scene that Jesus gives us to explain who He is and how He and how He responds to you and me as a dad. None of this makes any sense. Doesn't seem right in our minds. Even for us, even if our kid were to do this, you know, I think we all look at this and we're like, well, yeah, that, obviously that's the right thing to do, but, it, but it's not fair. The only one in this story who's thinking logically is the older son. Actually, he hears the noise of the party and he's like, What's going on? So he calls over a servant. He's like, Hey, what's happening over there? And the servant's like, Oh, yeah. Um, remember your younger brother? Like, he's back. And you and remember the fattened calf that we've been waiting? He's like, Man, we already killed it and we're eating it. And so you better get over there because it's going to run out. And so he's like, You know, the, the older brother, he's asking about it and he's just like, What? Are you kidding me? This doesn't make any sense. Next verse, verse 28, it says, Then he, the older brother, he says, became angry. He didn't want to go in. And so his father came out to him and pleaded with him. The older son, he hates the party. Right? He hates what's going on. By the way, the publicly not going to his dad's party, extremely disrespectful in that culture. This is what Jesus is playing on. It's a disgrace. To his dad, he's almost doing the, he's really, in a sense, in a different way, he's doing the exact same thing that the younger son did to his dad. Disgracing him. The older brother, he's about to give a version of the younger brother's speech. The younger brother, remember, is, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, but I promise I will. The older brother, it's, I have, I have, I have, I have, I promise I won't. And his dad's there, he's pleading with him to come. He says, but he replied to his father. He says, look, dad, I've been slaving for you. Slaving, you know, it's not even like I've been, you know, I've been around, I've been working for you. So I've been slaving many years for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. All right, he hates it. He hates the party. He hates everything about the party. He hates the party, the dancing, the music. You know, he's got the best coat. All you can eat steak, he hates it. And, and, he's, and the older son, he's just like, you haven't even given me a goat. I actually had to reread that, all right? And I'm like, are you sure he didn't say boat? Like, I get that. He's like, you haven't even given me a goat. Like, he's whining about a goat. All right, he's saying this isn't fair. He says, but when this son of yours came, he doesn't even call him his brother. He's just like, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? That's his son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, this is what happens to self-righteous people, people who are all about rule following. They don't understand grace. Right? We don't understand grace. See, we rebel in different ways. We're rebelling all the same, but we do it in different ways. Some people, it's heroin, it's drugs, it's sex, it's laziness, it's whatever. Right? Others of us, we rebel by coming to church because the reason why we come to church is we want to look good in front of people. Right? We want people to see us there. We want people to see how good we are. Right? Some of us, we know a lot about God, but we don't actually know God. Did you notice, by the way, that the older son, his, his attitude is, he says, I've always obeyed. It's impossible to do. We know that's not true, but that's how self-righteous people think. We're like, I'm good. Like, I'm a good person. I've done a whole bunch of good things. Like, look at my life. I'm, I'm generally good. I do all this, I do all this good stuff. But the father, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, you have always obeyed. Or he doesn't say, oh, yeah, you've always been good. You're you're right. No, he says, hey, you were always with me. See, people in the crowd, I think at this point, they're they're a little confused because they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, are you telling me that with is a bigger deal than do? Are you telling me that with is a bigger deal than obey? Like proximity is a bigger deal than righteousness? See the tax collectors and the sinners they're they're sitting there thinking they're like whoa 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 that's how god views me like he's waiting for me to come back to him and the pharisees and scribes they're going they're going it's it's with and not and not do like it's not about all the good stuff that we do it's not by following our rules see as a dad which do you think god loved more which brother do you think god loved more all right, let's say this, all right? Who do you think God loves more, you or me, right? And before you answer that in your mind, just remember, I'm a pastor, and my whole job is to bring people to God. And not only that, but I know the Bible pretty well, and I, like I got degrees, like college degrees in Bible, okay? Yeah, isn't it strange how we think? Like, that's what we do. We compare ourselves to others. We think, that we're like, well, you know, I haven't done as, good, as much good stuff as that, or I'm not as as religious as that person or, you know, we, that's, how, that's how we think. God's saying, no, 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 none of that matters. Like, I'm gonna, remove this, I'm gonna remove sin from the equation completely. He's like, I want you with me. I want that father-son or that father-daughter relationship with you. He doesn't care about our past. Our past is in the past. See, each son he ended up using the father to get what he wanted. The one son, he, does, he was saying, "Hey, you know, I will disgrace you to your, your face. I want your stuff." The other son saying, "Hey, I'll follow all your rules, but I want your stuff." So the reality is, many of us in here this morning, our relationship with God has been so messed up lately. It just stinks. I'm sure we have both types of people in this room, right? Some of you is, hey, I've been running from God too long. Like maybe this is the first time in a while that you're like realizing it. You're like, man, I've been running from God too long. I need to go back. Or maybe it's like, hey, I've never had a relationship with my true dad or my true father. And you're realizing, you know, God's working on you right now. you are just like, I need to go back. Like, I need to start that. Others of us, we're we're thinking, you know, I'm all good with God. I'm a good person. I go to church. I pray. I do all the godly things. And for some of us, we're self-righteous. We don't understand that. We're just as lost. See, God is our Father, and he is pleading, just like he was pleading with the older brother, he is pleading with you to fix that relationship with him. Hands down. There's no better time to do that than today. Like we're not promised a certain amount of time in this in this life. We're not promised, you know, a certain amount of you know years or birthdays or whatever. God's saying he wants that relationship with you today. And what bothers me the most is being a pastor is knowing that there's people who listen to truth like this and sit through 35 minutes of it and choose not to start that relationship. It doesn't matter about what's going on in our life. It doesn't matter about all the bad stuff and all the bad news that's all around. We have this such good news, and I encourage you not to ignore it. Let's pray. God, we uh, we ask that if there's anybody out there that hasn't started a relationship with you, the most important thing that we, the most important decision we ever make in our entire life something that can't just be taken away from us. You promised us that last week. God, we ask that they would make that decision today that all they have to do is just surrender their lives over to you. It's just a quick conversation between you and them, and God, we ask that they would do that today. Decide to give their lives over to you. For the rest of us that we've done that, God, I know there's a a handful of us that we just need to get back to you because we are so far away. I said, we'd do that, and there's another handful of us that we think we're all good, and that's what we're placing our trust in, and we're not. Give us humility. And God, we thank you for loving us so much that you came down for no reason. You didn't have to, but you did because of your love for us, and you died for every single one of us sitting in here. And we thank you so much. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.